This message is a product of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. We thank you for engaging this conversation. Messages like this one are great resources to help us grow, but they cannot replace being a part of a local church. If you're not actively a part of a church, we encourage you to find one near you that fits you, visit it, and get involved. And we hope this message gives life to you today. Enjoy. In early 2010, what was over five years ago now, God spoke to me and invited me into a journey to build a church in Albemarle. I want to be honest with you that over those first few months, I didn't really know that this could be possible. But as God began to communicate to me by faith, I could see you. I could see it. Even though you weren't in existence yet, I could see you. See, the words that we just showed you were the church that I could see in faith. See, that's what faith is. The Bible says that faith is the evidence of things unseen. Faith is our capacity to see the things that God has spoken into us far before they ever become a reality, but you're a reality now. Like, I can see that church. I can look at you and see a church that today, if you were a family of five, we have one place that you can sit. That's right over there. All right? I'm not, I'm not kidding. I see that church. And that is a remarkable thing. But I feel a bit like Moses, after he was commissioned by God to return to Egypt, and he goes through this massive use by God to extradite the children of Israel out of Egypt. At that moment, Moses has has seen some of the greatest miracles the Bible ever would record, has been used in some of the most profound and prolific ways. And he prays his prayer in Exodus 33. God, you have told me I know you by name, and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, let me know your ways so that my, I may understand you more fully and continue to enjoy your favor. See, Moses says, hey, God, you've done some great things. And God, it's, it's evident that I've lived in your favor. God, you, you've shown me. But what you started, God, I want you to finish this because it's not done. And so, God, would you please let me see your ways? Would you, God, would you just show me what you see? Because what you started, God, I want to continue in this. See, you're now the church that I saw in 2010. And to be honest with you, I thought we would have to fight and pray and scrap and go to war to get to this point. And we might be lucky if we got there in 20 years. But it's two and a half years later and we're already there. And so as this year started, I started praying, God, I've lived in your favor, but would you please show me your ways? 
because I want to continue to live that way. God, you've done something miraculous in this church. It's your church. What are your plans for it? Let me see what you see. So today we're going to talk church. Is that okay with everyone? We're going to talk about what I think God sees in his church, what God sees in our church. The first thing I want to do is just help you to understand the difference between the church and the local church. See, the church that's described often in the Bible is not the local church as we know it today. The church that's described is God's church. God's church is believers everywhere worldwide. It is not contained to a denomination or a location. It is not orchestrated or ran by anyone other than Jesus. That's the church. The local church is the local expression of that grand church. Okay? So there's a difference. And so I think one of the questions that we should ask as we kind of get started today is what does God see in the church? What does God see in the church? And the first thing I want you to know today is that God loves the church. See, we kind of live in a world where the church has been um, exposed in its sinfulness. Church is not like the sin, sin existing in the church is not brand new. You know, because we got a bunch of people like us in here. So there's sin in the church, right? But our capacity to expose that over the last 25 years has changed. And so there's some people, there's this growing discontent with the church among believers. There are books that have been written that have titles such as, "I, I love Jesus, but I hate the church. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Ephesus to describe what a good, healthy marriage would look like. What mutual submission between a husband and wife would naturally look like. And when he talks about the way that a husband should love his wife, he compares it to Jesus and the church. You see, God loves the church so much so that the church can be called the bride of Christ. Now, this past Friday, I celebrated 11 years of being married to Amanda. That's a, that's a long time. When not, not nearly as long as some of y'all, all right? But that's a, that's a good milestone to hit. And let me tell you something I've learned. If you talk about my wife, we can't be friends. I'm not joking. You say something negative about her, you make fun of her, we can't be friends. It's just that simple. Because if you treat my wife poorly, all right, you're treating one of the most significant gifts I've ever been given poorly. Something that I care and value and love. See, Jesus loves the church. And if we're going to have the heart that God wants us to have, we'll love the church too. Okay? Even in all, all of its beautiful imperfections. The second thing that I want you to know about the church is that The church is God's plan to advance the gospel. It's God's plan to advance the gospel. Y'all listen to me for a moment, okay? Let me unpack those those two terms, advance and the gospel. We, we, We drop that term, the gospel, around a lot. Just so you understand, the gospel literally translated means good news. All right? We've got good news to share. Jesus is alive, 
He has defeated sin and death. He's invited us into a new life where we can be reconciled to God through him. We can be forgiven. The past can be washed away. We can live eternal life right now. That's good news, y'all. But look at what the word is before that. We're not called to be keepers of good news. We're called to advance the good news. Look at what Jesus says when that good news really is kind of first beginning to emerge within his small group of disciples. Here's, here's what he says. On this rock, on the rock, the bedrock and foundation of the confession that Peter made, that I am the Christ, I'm the Son of God, I am the Savior. On this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Y'all listen to me. The church is designed to kick the gates of hell in. That's what we're called to do, to advance the gospel, which is why I will tell you this today. The local church is the hope of the world. The local church is the hope of the world. We believe this so much. This is why we invest ourselves wholeheartedly into planting other churches. We give away at least 10%. Over the last two years, it's been about 12.5% of our receipts are given away to fund other church planters. We fund fund them uh, regionally in our state, nationally, internationally. We're helping plant churches. Because we believe that just like you've experienced life and change, God has ministered to you here in a church that's two years old. We believe other communities need that as well. So let's talk about the local church. Some some identity that we believe that God has given the local church to have. Some things that I think is important for us to identify as we're going to talk about church as it should be. Okay? So here's some values that I think that we have. We don't ever want to let go of these. Any healthy church will have these present, all right? Here's the first one. The church is people, not a place. It's people, not a place. When the Bible talks about the church, it does not talk about a church that was built somewhere. All right, in Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving his kind of directives to, as he's getting ready to go to heaven after he's raised from the dead, He does not say, stick around here and build a big building. It's not what he says to his disciples. And far too often, churches have defined themselves by their place. That's one great advantage that we have of being portable and meeting in a place like a movie theater. Across our country, there are churches that we're networked with that we've supported and helped start that meet in movie theaters, that meet in schools and gymnasiums and auditoriums. We have churches that meet under bridges because a church is people, not a place. And when the church values people over its place, it will take care of people. It will minister to people. It will keep the target of seeing lives changed at its forefront. The second thing is that the church is a movement, not an institution. See, in Matthew 28, when Jesus is giving the Great Commission, he says, now go into all the world and preach the gospel. 
It's a movement, not an institution. In other words, we have to be moving to go, don't we? We've got to go somewhere. It's not just a message that we're called to curate. It's it's not just an, an institution. It's a movement. See, institutions are charged with guarding and and kind of curating what is theirs. Whether it's their product or their their processes, whatever it is. In an institution, you hear things like, that's how we do it. This is the right kind of person for us. But see, in a movement, you you just don't care. Like, whatever it takes to get wherever we're going. Number three. The church is a family, not an organization. Now, we're all a part of a family, most likely, and a part of an organization. And lots of you go to work. Okay, so the easiest way to compare these two things is to draw a direct comparison between going to work and coming home. So you go to work because there are two things that are there. And it, one of those two things typically motivates us. One is that we're, we have a responsibility. We're supposed to be there. I've signed on the dot that I'm going to be there and do whatever it is. And there are certain people I'm obligated to be there and do this. Some of us are not motivated by that as much as we're motivated that there's a reward, that we get paid. I go to work, not because other people need me, but because I get a paycheck at the end of the week. But see, in a family... In a good, healthy family, a husband does not come home at the end of the day and wash the dishes because he has to. He comes home and washes the dishes because he loves his wife. Because he loves his family. Because he wants to serve them out of that love. You see, in a family, we serve because we love. And I want some of y'all to understand this. That you're missing in our church, experiencing the greatest love that you can experience because you're not serving. I mean that. God wants to use you. And that's what a family looks like. A family serves each other because they love each other. Number four, a church is outwardly focused, not inwardly driven. You see, when you're worried about the family that's in your city that's lost and broken, that doesn't know Jesus, you don't have fights about what color the carpet's going to be. When you're focused outwardly, concerned about the people that need to know Jesus, the, the let's now go into all the world and proclaim the message of hope that we've been given. When you're outwardly focused, you won't be inwardly driven, but many of us have had experiences where we fought over the color that the carpet might be. The church should be outwardly focused. Number five, progress directed, not perfection expected. Can I tell y'all something about perfection? In our church, we have one hero and one role model. His name is Jesus. It's not me. All right. Y'all don't look at me because I'm not perfect. I mean, really, so far from it, you have no idea. 
Jesus is the hero. But the Bible tells us that we're supposed to be changed into his image. So we're not supposed to stay the same way. We're supposed to make progress, but we're never going to expect you to be perfect. And y'all need to understand that today because some of y'all expect yourselves to be perfect. And some of y'all expect some people to be perfect, maybe even your spouse. See, the only way you're going to have a perfect spouse is if you get married to Jesus. And all you ladies might want to go marry the same Jesus. But I'm just telling you, you're probably married to some other guy right now. And he's not Jesus. And he's not going to be perfect. But we can make progress. Think about this with me. If we set out on a journey from New York to L.A., at some point, we're going to have to stop and rest. If we're driving across country, we're going to have to stop and rest. See, if you're making a long journey in life and you know that God's called you to go somewhere to change, at some point you're going to have to rest in that journey and be happy to be halfway. Not to be perfect. Number six, the local church builds a legacy through sacrifice. Builds a legacy through sacrifice. Do y'all realize that the message that we have in Jesus, we can hold it today. We can share it today because there are men and women who came before us who found such value in it that they were willing to sacrifice everything so that we could be here today. That's what church looks like. So last week, we started this series by asking this question. In the middle of a difficult moment, in the middle of resistance and challenge, what does God see? And I told you that when we hit those moments, God sees an opportunity. That God doesn't see the challenge and the pain that we see. God sees a great opportunity. So I thought it might be helpful for us today to think about the challenge that is present in the world that we live in right now. And I'm talking about central North Carolina. All right. Albemarle. Rockingham. Southern Pines, Richmond County, Anson County, Montgomery County, Stanley County. What, what is the challenge? The first thing that I want you to know is that with the economic and social challenges that we face in this region, hope is vanishing. I mean, with the transition from a manufacturing to a service-based economy, with the outsourcing of many of our manufacturing-based jobs, I mean, poverty is present, y'all. Here's just the U.S. Census statistics that 16% of Stanley County is living below the poverty line. That, that means that if you see five kids in school, pick out one of them and they're living below the poverty line. If you go to Montgomery County, it's 26% are living below the poverty line. That means you get four kids, you can pick out one. Moore County, 16%. Richmond County, 26%. Anson County, 25%. Below the poverty line. You know the sad thing about that? Is that that's not new. 
I mean, this situation isn't like it just crept up on us. And in the midst of all these challenges, especially in a world that's been filled with challenge, we've watched as the church has not been a meaningful voice as people have faced those challenges. I mean, I'm not saying there aren't good people in good churches. But you see, we watched riots happen in Baltimore after the unnecessary death of a young man. All right? But did you know that the same thing happened in North Charleston? And we never heard about anything happen. You know that? You want to know why? Because a mile from there, one of our ARC churches has a ministry site, has a campus where they minister. And so that night after it happened, they called all the local pastors together. 2,000 people showed up. Politicians and pastors prayed. Because the church chose to be a meaningful voice. See, let me tell you something about hope. Every politician is going to promise you hope. Every new thing you go to the grocery store, every new diet plan you look at, the only real hope that we have in this world is Jesus. And when the church ceases to become an unme- a, a, a voice that's not, not providing meaning and hope in those situations, well, we see number three, people are leaving the church. I mean, we've known for years that church attendance globally is, especially within the United States, is going down. The church is exploding in some parts of the world, but when we're talking about the local church here in America, attendance has been going down and down and down. Some estimates say that only about 20% of the United States attend church on an active basis. In Stanley County, based on the numbers that we have, it's about 25% of Stanley County that actively attend church. Pew Research Group, which is a group out of D.C. that researches faith-based issues, just released a big uh, kind of comprehensive study on this this past week. And they said that 45% of kids that have been raised in mainline churches. Now, y'all, we're not a mainline church. I'm talking about Grandma's Church where you went to, and it was, they're going to sing three hymns, and everything was normal and traditional. All right? Mainline churches are only returning about 45% of their kids as they grow up. So let me explain what that means. That churches that are in our community, Stanley County has over 160 churches. The average size is barely over 80. That means in 25 years, the average size is going to be about 40. See, if you step back and look at that, it looks pretty bad. But I think God sees an opportunity. And so for the next few moments, I want to share with you what I think 
God sees in Vortex Church. Let's go ahead and open with that. Number one, a church that's committed to be the church that God sees. I just want to start with a blank statement like that one because I want you to understand that we don't have any sacred cows. We don't have anything like it's got to be this way. We love people. We want to see people changed by Jesus. And whatever it takes to see that, we're going to do. And that's what life for us is going to look like. When we decided to start Vortex, we decided that we wanted one central issue. That's really kind of part of the genesis of the name that we have. We want the issue to be Jesus, which means we never want you to show up here and have someone tell you, you need to kind of change the radio dial. You listen to a different radio station. Stop watching that TV show. Watch this TV show. We don't do that because we make the issue Jesus. Because we believe that if you can encounter Jesus, be changed by Jesus, eventually Jesus can tell you to change the radio station. We want one issue, and it's Jesus. And we're committed to be the church that God sees. Number two, a church that's willing to sacrifice to follow Jesus. That word sacrifice is a word we, we leverage a lot in the church. It's for us, our understanding comes out of an Old Testament giving system where most people that were reading the Bible would have been ranchers or farmers. Their income would have come from what they harvested or what they grew. And sacrifice came as the, the first 10%, the first 10% of the new that were born, the first 10% of that which was harvest was given and sacrificed to God. Can I tell you that that word is painful, unpleasant, and I don't think it's supposed to be easy because I think that when we start to step into the reality that God wants us to be, to be sacrificial givers, to be people who sacrifice in our lives, that we give away so much. At first, we start by going, all right, I'm going to be a part of the setup team. That means I lose two hours of sleep. Good God. I need that two hours. Y'all don't know, though. I mean, like, y'all, I need that. I mean, y'all going to have to buy me, like, some monster energy drinks or something if I'm going to come in two hours early and help these crazy folks set up this church. And after a while, you do that and start meeting some people. And it's three months in, four months in, five months in, six months in. And all of a sudden, the people that you've been putting pipe and drape up with next to are people that you've got to know. And you text them all week long. And they ask you how you're doing. Some of the most meaningful relationships, not that I have, that I've seen emerge in our church have came out of our setup crew. I mean, I've seen grown men that don't have a father or mother, find a father and mother as they sat up with another family. I mean, it, it, and, and the thing is, that I think that after we've sacrificed for a little while, we stop thinking, 
This is what I'm going to lose. And we start going, God, I have no idea what you're going to give me. But if you've called me to sacrifice, I know you're going to replace what I give away with something that's a lot better. So I'm willing to lose this two hours. I'm willing to give away 10% of my income. I'm willing to take time on a Thursday night and learn a lesson so that I can go invest in a kid on Sunday morning. And I think that God sees a church that's willing to do that in us. Number three. A church that's positioned to bring life-giving campuses to central North Carolina. If you've been around here, this is not a new idea. We've talked about being multiple campuses before. As I've shared the vision, uh, we don't want to be one church that's massive in one place, right? We want to be a church that's in multiple places so we can minister to people effectively, know them, create smaller community. So it's one church, multiple locations. But see, as I've been praying that prayer out of Exodus 33, and I've looked at maybe two towns that I thought that we could do that in. As I was on top of Morrow Mountain praying that prayer, God showed me that it's a little bit bigger than what I had ever thought. So I know that there are some things that we have to get ready for, which is why last week for the first time we introduced what we're calling legacy builders. Many of our families have committed to give above and beyond 10%. And so what we want to do is to be able to leverage that, to start to prepare for the next phase, which is going to be we have to build something. Y'all just understand this. We're close to capacity here at two services. All right, we have plans that possibly this fall, if needed, we could go to three. I mean, that's really the only game we got left. All right? But we're going to hit capacity here. And at some point, we're going to have to build. I mean, in, in a town our size, churches rarely grow beyond 70% of their seating capacity. We're already there. So with legacy builders, we're going to ask um, those families that give above and beyond 10% to designate that to the legacy fund so that we could start saving to build. See, commercial lending has changed in the last uh, 20 years. 20 years ago, we could have went to a bank with a church our size and the income that we have and just said, hey, we want to build this. We've got 20 families that will sign to guarantee the loan. Would you build it for us? 100% finance. And they would have. But today, it's quite normal to have to front 30% of a, of a loan up front. We have a financial organization that we're working with that works exclusively with churches, predominantly young churches. It's 20% that we have to pay up front. That's a lot of money. So we've got to start saving to prepare. Here's my goal. By the end of this year, we're going to save $50,000. All right? We're going to save $50,000 by the end of 2015. But I want you to understand, $50,000 is only about 20% of what we need for a down payment. Now, what are we going to build? I think that's a great question. We've been praying between building our first campus and keeping Eastgate going 
or building a main campus. So I'm not going to tell you what we're going to build because we don't have a definitive answer on that yet. Okay? When we have one, I'll tell you. But until then, we're going to keep praying. But as we've prayed about that, we know that by about year five, we're going to have to build. Okay? Two and a half years into it, we hit three years this fall. But I want you to understand what I think God sees beyond that. I think I've got probably about 25 more years in me. Okay? If you are lucky, maybe 35 more years. All right? So you have to start asking the question, God, we were thinking we might get here. Where, where do you really want? What, what do you see? Here's what I think God could do through us. I think in the next 25 years, we can plant 10 campuses in the middle of North Carolina. In towns that haven't had a new work in decades. Not only that, but I think we can start and sponsor with and parent 10 churches. Y'all listen, we've already started one. And it's killing it in Beaufort, South Carolina. I mean, they're having 600 people today. And they're six months old. This August, we're going to bring in a, another church planter that we're pastoring and preparing and helping. He's planting in downtown Philadelphia. Y'all are in Albemarle, okay? And you're about to make a significant difference in downtown Philly. I believe that what God sees in us is so far beyond what we ever thought we could see in ourselves. Which is why, number four, I think that God sees a church that could build a significant legacy. A significant legacy. Over the last few months, I've been asked to do funerals for some young guys that have died unexpectedly. Over the past few years, I've been to a lot of funerals for a lot of guys. Y'all know that nobody ever goes to a funeral and says, I really hated that dude. Did y'all know that? I've never been to a funeral where people didn't walk in and go, man, he was just a nice guy. Now, if he, if he liked you, he was a nice guy. Y'all have heard that before, right? That means he was not a nice guy. But, but that's, that's, you hear that. And every, it doesn't, like without break, without excuse, it's always going to be that. But let, can I just tell you something? I don't want you to say at my funeral, he was a nice guy. I don't want that. I, I don't want any language like that. I want people that stand over my casket and say, he made a difference in my life. Like I'm, God used him, and I watched him use him. And because of what God did through him, my life has changed forever. That's what I want. I want people to look at my life and say, he kicked the gates of hell in. 
He refused to stop where the boundaries had always been. He went to new territory and kicked the gates in and took territory for God. And I want that to be our legacy. Because see, the thing is, is that I'm praying today that God increases your faith so that you can see something like I can that doesn't exist yet. And that through faith, we can all build a legacy that's far beyond what we could ever imagine. Jesus continuing in Matthew 16, after he would say the gates of hell will not prevail against his church, would say this, and that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. The keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth. Earth and heaven. And yes, on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. You see, I think that God has prepared us and brought us to a position that we can go into some towns where the average family is living in what we would call hell. And we can bring heaven to earth in the middle of it. You see, if we went to the rose garden at the White House and planted a rose in the middle of that and its beauty, we might step back and see its comprehensive um, kind of gorgeousness, right? But if we planted a rose in the middle of a desert, people would stop and look and be awed. And I believe that our church has the potential to plant that rose in some places that have been long forgotten by the mainstream. I think that's the church God sees. Let's pray. God, what an invitation that you've given us. What a challenge to be the church that you see. And so God, today we just step back and just say, that's what we want. Whatever it is, whatever you see in us, whatever the paths are that you would direct us, God, we want to be that church. We're willing to give and sacrifice whatever it takes, God, because we love you. So today, God, challenge us. Some of us that have been so complacent, so, so sitting in our own little rut, challenge us to be a part of this movement. For your glory. Now with everybody, eyes closed, heads bowed, let me just tell you something today. All of this, everything that we've done is because we believe that every week there are people that show up and sit in these seats that need Jesus. So if you're the person and you know you are the person that showed up here today and you need Jesus, I don't know if you've been running from Jesus. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you're facing something that's significant in your life right now, but you know you need Jesus. This morning at 5 o'clock, there were people here setting up a stage and speakers. There are people here who put up pipe and drape. There are people who prepared to take care of your kids, all because we want you to meet Jesus. And so if that's you today, 
the invitation that God would give you is that you could choose to follow him. And that through that choice, through that simple choice of saying, Jesus, I will follow you, he'll forgive you, he'll erase your past, and he'll build a new eternal life in you today. If that's you and you say, I'm that person, man, I need Jesus, raise your hand right now. That's me. I need Jesus. I'm the person that's walked away. I need Jesus. Awesome. So God, for those that have raised their hand, we just ask you to come into their lives, into their hearts, God. Free them from their past. Build your life in them today. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. This podcast has been a production of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information on our church, we encourage you to visit us online at vortexchurch.com.